0: Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: This is a time where people, in their desperation, are looking for answers, and we know that the answer is in the gospel. We know that the answer for the fear of death is in the gospel. We know the answer for racism is in the gospel. We know the answer for anarchy and confusion. We know that that is in the gospel.
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian begins his study in the book of Colossians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins this series with his teaching on Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, in a message titled, Unceasing Praying for the Church.
1: Now, here's Pastor Brian. Colossians is an interesting letter, and Interestingly enough, it is a letter that is fairly neglected. You don't hear it taught that much. When you look for resources to study it, there's not as much available as there would be for say something like Ephesians or Romans or maybe Hebrews or, you know, some of the other letters. There's much more Availability when it comes to resources for them. Colossians is almost like this, this little book that's just to some degree been ignored. And I think one of the reasons for that is because in certain places, it is so similar to Ephesians. I think some people just think, well, I'm gonna just read Ephesians because it says the same things Colossians says. And, and there's a few places in Colossians where it's literally word for word the same as passages in Ephesians. But what people fail to remember is that there's a unique aspect to Colossians as well that really isn't found in any other epistle of the New Testament to this degree. And it's addressing the the subject of philosophy. Now, 1 Corinthians addresses philosophy a little bit. But Colossians really addresses the subject of philosophy. And what I mean by philosophy, it addresses human ideas and theories and teachings that are contrary to the Word of God and shows us how we are not to try to blend those things together because apparently in Colossae, that's what was happening. The Colossian Christians were buying into some of these other ideas that were incorrect and contrary to the gospel of Jesus. And they were thinking that you could blend these things together. Now that's called syncretism. Syncretism is the, it's the idea that you would take different religions or different views, and then you would sort of make one new view out of many. And so the Colossians were engaged in that to some degree. So Paul spends a lot of the second chapter addressing bad philosophy. So that's one of the things that we'll look at as we go through this letter. We'll look at the subject of philosophy. There's good philosophy. And uh, C.S. Lewis, as a matter of fact, he said that there needs to be good philosophy if for no other reason than to combat bad philosophy. And so when we talk about philosophy, we just want to understand that uh, what Paul's talking about are those ideas that originate with men that contradict the Word of God, but that are sometimes people seek to blend them together. So that's one of the unique features of Colossians. Now, it dawned on me today that the last time I taught through Colossians was in 1996. So... Some of you maybe were not even born in 1996. So that was a long time ago. And uh, although I think I've taught it in like, uh, you know, kind of just a quick survey of the Bible since then, I have never since then taught it in an in-depth fashion. It was the last book I taught to my church that I used to pastor down in Vista, California before my family and I moved to England. And so I have fond memories of going through Colossians back then, but I'm excited about us going through it now. So we're going to be taking a journey through Colossians, and I don't know exactly what the pace is going to be, but I hope that you are blessed and encouraged as we go through it. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to focus specifically on the the prayer that the apostle pens for us here. in Paul's prison epistles, and, and this is also a prison epistle. So a prison epistle is a letter that Paul wrote from prison. We saw as we studied Philippians that uh, Paul was clearly in prison when he wrote it. He made several references to the fact that that was his state. That was the case when he wrote Ephesians as well. And he also wrote Philemon from prison. He wrote Second Timothy from prison. But Colossians is one of those prison epistles. And so in the prison epistles, Paul, he prays for those that he's writing the letters to. So in Ephesians, you have two really beautiful prayers that Paul prays. In Philippians, you have one. And now here in Colossians, you have one. And the thing about these prayers that we always need to keep in mind is that these are spirit inspired prayers, just like everything else that's written in the pages of scripture are, are the inspired words of God. So these words are the inspired words of God. And these prayers, these prayers are, we we can understand them as these are the things that God would have us pray for. He's basically telling us, pray for this and, and then pray for this and pray for this. So when the Lord's telling us how to pray That's something we want to pay real close attention to. So this particular prayer that we're going to look at in a moment is my favorite of all the prayers in these prison epistles. And as a matter of fact, there's been occasions where people have asked me, well, you know, Pastor Brian, how can we pray for you? And often I will say, take Colossians chapter one and look at that prayer in verses nine through 12 and just pray that for me. If you do that, I'll love you forever. That, that'll be totally sufficient. And so we're gonna dig down and look at that in a moment. But I wanna give us just a little bit of background here. Now, Colossians, or Colossae is the city, the Colossians are the people of the city. This is a place where Paul has never been. He's not been there, but his ministry has impacted the place. In Acts chapter 19, we read about Paul being in the city of Ephesus, And he was there for three years, and for two years, he taught regularly in what was called the School of Tyrannus. We don't really know exactly who Tyrannus was or what this was, but it was a facility that was an educational facility that somehow Paul got the opportunity to use as his base to proclaim the gospel. And so for two straight years, Paul taught regularly in the School of Tyrannus sharing the gospel, explaining the gospel, spreading the word of God. And it tells us in Acts chapter 19 that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus through the ministry of Paul there in Ephesus. All that that dwelt in Asia. Now that's a that's hyperbole. It wasn't like literally every single person, but the point is multitudes of people throughout the province of Asia. Now Ephesus was the chief city of the province of Asia, so this is the place where everybody in that province would, would come to a, at some point in time. This was the, you know, the great center, everything you could want in the province. So Paul sets up there, he ministers there, he preaches there, and people would come from all around Asia And they would hear Paul preach the gospel. You know, maybe they would come into Ephesus and they would just hear about this interesting person. They would hear about this man named Paul who was a preacher of the gospel, talking about a Messiah. And these Gentiles would come and somehow they would hear about that and they would end up over listening to Paul share the gospel and some would get converted. And when they got saved, they would take their newfound salvation back to their own cities, and they would begin to spread the gospel. So that's what happened here. And this man who's mentioned right here in the first chapter, this man named Epaphras, he's the one who had been converted more than likely by Paul. He's the one who went back to Colossae, where he was from, He preached the gospel and the Lord used him to start a church there in that city. So, although Paul had not gone there, his ministry had reached there through the people that he touched there in Ephesus. Now, Asia was a Roman province in what we know today as Turkey. And if you look in the book of Revelation, you have the seven letters to the seven churches of Asia. You have Laodicea, you have Thyatira, you have Philadelphia, you have Smyrna, you have Sardis, you have all these different places. Well, Colossae, although it's not listed in the seven, it was also a city that had a church in this province of Asia. Now the city of Colossae, just for a quick little background on that, at this time in the history of the city, it was really an insignificant location. Earlier on in the history of the city, it had prominence back during the Phrygian Empire, the Lydian Empire. It was a significant city at the time. But by the time Paul is preaching, Colossae is no longer a place of any real significance. And therefore, you know, the city is not of any real significance, nor then would the people be considered of any real significance. It's not like a place where people would be dying to go oh man, we wanna wanna take a trip to Colossae. Nobody really wanted to do that. It was just a a place that unless you had come from there, you probably wouldn't even know that it existed. And it is certainly a place that unless it had been immortalized in the pages of the New Testament, we today wouldn't even know it ever existed in history. There would be no other reason. But what we see in that is God takes what People think to be insignificant and God brings significance to it. And he does that with places. And he does that with people. He takes people's lives who others might look on and just think, well, who are they? They're they're nobody. They're nothing. I mean, a person might even feel that about themselves. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. But God can take that life and make something beautiful out of it. He can take an unknown city and give it worldwide fame because of what he does. And you know, in a funny sort of a way, there's a parallel between Colossi and Costa Mesa, believe it or not. And here's the parallel. Costa Mesa is known around the world. Now, it's not known because of any... Thing you know within the city, like a a special park, or it's not known because its civic center is this amazing place, it's not even known around the world because of South Coast Plaza. But Costa Mesa is known around the world because of this church. I have been to many places around the world, and people know Costa Mesa. Costa Mesa, that's Calvary Chapel, right? That's Pastor Chuck Smith, right? So God took this place that is otherwise totally insignificant. You know, sometimes when we're traveling, somebody will ask you where you're from. Now, unless, you know, I know there's a Christian connection, I rarely say Costa Mesa. Sometimes I do. But, you know, you might say, oh, we're from Los Angeles. That makes it easy. Everybody kind of has, okay, yeah, Los Angeles. We know that's on the west coast of the United States. Uh, Sometimes, now, If Cheryl's with me, and we're talking to people that have children, and they ask where we're from, Cheryl always says, have you ever heard of Disneyland? People are like, yeah. She goes, we live 20 miles from Disneyland. We live on the same street that Disneyland is on. And so that's, you know, the point of reference. If we were to just say to some random person, and I have said this, so, well, we live in Costa Mesa. Where's that? And they usually call it Costa Mesa. <laughs> Where's that? But wherever I have met Christians around the world, they have heard of Costa Mesa because God took an insignificant place and he touched people's lives through the gospel. He established a church and from this church, the message has gone out around the world. So a couple of introductory things there. Now let's just jump in. I want to read from verse three. And so there Paul says, we give thanks to God. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. So Paul says about these saints in Colossae, he says three things. He says, we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. So this little church has had an impact and word is spreading, not just throughout the city of Colossae, but it's spreading beyond that. They've heard of their faith. And secondly, Paul says, and we've also heard about the love that you have for all the saints. And then thirdly, we've heard about your hope that is set in heaven. And boy, these are the things that we would long for people to hear about us, that they would hear about our faith, they would hear about our love, and they would hear about the hope that we have in heaven, that we have a hope that is not rooted in this world. It's not rooted in a political system. It's not rooted in what man is ultimately going to be able to do, but we have a certain hope that is rooted in Christ who is going to come and establish God's kingdom. So that was the the testimony that had gone out about the Colossians. Now, Paul, as I said, he now prays for them. And so verse nine, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask. So as we look at this prayer, what I want us to think about is I want us to think about this prayer as a prayer for the church. Now, quite a few years ago now, we we studied Ephesians. We looked at those two great prayers in chapter one and chapter three, and when we studied them, we made very personal application of them. And when we were studying Philippians a while back, as we looked at that great prayer in Philippians chapter one, we looked at it and we applied it very personally. And although we could do the same thing with this prayer here, we have to remember that these prayers were also, I mean, really, in this case, Paul is praying for the church collectively. And the church collectively is made up of individuals. We know that. But we need to think sometimes in terms of the church collectively. And as we look at this prayer, I think it's a beautiful reminder of what God intends the church to be in the world. And listen, we're living in a time when the church really does need to be what God intends it to be because we're living in a time of desperation. We're living in a time of confusion. We're living in a time where people are wondering about things, where people are are looking for answers. It's like people are frightened. People are wondering what's going on. What is the answer? What is the solution? This is a time where people in their desperation are looking for answers. And we know that the church has the answer. We know that the answer is in the gospel. We know that the answer for the fear of death is in the gospel. We know the answer for racism is in the gospel. We know the answer for anarchy and confusion. We know that that is in the gospel. And so how do we as the church really shine brightly at this time and be all that God intends us to be? Well, if The things that the apostle prays for here, if these things become a reality in our midst, then we will be what we need to be at this time. So let's look at the things that Paul mentions. I'm gonna just read through the prayer and then we'll come back. So he says, he's asking uh, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and longsuffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father. We'll stop right there. Giving thanks to the Father. So what's the first thing that the apostle prays for? He prays that the church would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, there's many facets to God's will. Now, a church that exists is in the will of God in one sense, because the will of God is that we believe in Christ. So we put our faith in Christ, and now we've become the people of God. We are the church of God. So we're in the will of God in one sense, but I believe that God has a will for each congregation, a will in the sense that There's something that God wants to do with that congregation in a community and maybe at specific points in time. And we need to be praying that we would know what that is. And so right now at this time in history, we are praying, Lord, give us the knowledge of your will. What do you want Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa to be like at this time and at this moment in history? And, you know, honestly, this is something we are praying for as a staff. We're praying for this as a pastoral team. We're saying, okay, Lord, Lord, what do you want to do at this time with your church? And so as we think about praying for the church, we want to pray that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Boy, we need wisdom today. The people of God need wisdom. These are really treacherous waters. This is, this is really difficult navigation these days. And, and we need wisdom from God. Wisdom, somebody has said, is the proper application of knowledge. So, you know, you can have knowledge. You can be a person whose brain is full of all kinds of information. You can actually be on paper. You can be a really smart person But if you don't have wisdom, you don't know how to apply that knowledge. And so even though you're really smart, it doesn't look like you're smart because you make bad decisions and you draw wrong conclusions and you, you know, you, you add to the problem rather than bring about a solution. Wisdom is the principal thing. We need wisdom. And as the church today, boy, we need wisdom. Here we are in these crazy times. We need to know, Lord, how do we navigate this? What do you want us to see here? How do you want us to to respond to this? And boy, I'll tell you for myself, as we've been going through this, I've just been seeking, Lord, give me wisdom. I don't wanna make the wrong decisions. I don't wanna go in the wrong direction. I don't wanna say the wrong thing. I wanna be in tune with you. So praying for wisdom and then for spiritual understanding. We as a church, we need to see the world around us. We need to see it through the lens of God's will. We need to see it through the lens of God's word. So spiritual understanding means that we're going to look at things not for what they appear. We're going to look beyond what we can see with the naked eye, and we're going to seek to see lord what do you have in this situation lord show us what you see here because you know it might look one way to us we might think that well here's the issue and i can see it and here's the solution but that's that's really worldly understanding a lot of times we need spiritual understanding i need to see it through god's eyes
0: Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Confronting Jesus, Nine Encounters with a Hero of the Gospels by Rebecca McLaughlin. Jesus has become a stranger to today's culture. Many do not know who he truly is, and many have never even heard of him. Our culture wonders, was Jesus even a real historical person? And why does it even matter if Jesus lived at all? And if he did, what does that mean for you and me personally? These are just some of the questions that Rebecca McLaughlin tackles in her new book, Confronting Jesus. In this book, you'll learn who Jesus is and what that means for you. If you want to know more about Jesus and why knowing who he is is the most important question in life you'll ever have to answer, or if you know someone who needs to know who Jesus is, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order Confronting Jesus, Nine Encounters with a Hero of the Gospels by Rebecca McLaughlin. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God.